good morning, everybody. Um, it's great to see you. Let's pray before we get started this morning. Father, I thank you for this beautiful morning. Lord, I, I praise you for the fellowship here at Word of Grace. Lord, I thank you for those that have gathered here to hear your word. Lord, I, I pray that, Father, we'll think about your word together today and apply it, Lord, to walk with you more closely this week. Father, I pray that you would be with, with me as, as I speak. Lord, and I, I pray that my message would be edifying to the congregation. Lord, we praise you and thank you for all of your goodness towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning, um, something's different up here. So we'll go ahead and address that. Um, both the elders of Word of Grace are on vacation today. Um, so, you get to hear me speak. Um, so, I, I, I pray that you will be patient with me and um, that we could look at the Word together. And I pray that what I've prepared will be a blessing to you. So, we're going to be in the first chapter of James today. So, if you'll turn with me to... Uh, James 1, and we will be focused today on James 1, verses 1 through 4. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Whenever John and Danny um, asked, a.k.a. Volan told me to preach today... <laughs> Um, uh, as I was thinking, as I was thinking about it later that day, um, I would, uh, really James 1 came to mind, and I believe that the Lord has led me, um, to, to speak about James 1 today, um, as, as I studied it, it just became more and more relevant for the times that we find ourselves in, and where we are at today uh, in 2020. So, when we think about James, uh, one thing that I really gained from looking at this is who was James, because it really makes these verses even more emphatic in the way that he says them. The James that wrote this book is the Lord's brother. So can you imagine having a sibling that is Jesus, your older brother? 
Um, if you grew up with an older brother, if you grew up with an older uh, sister, sometimes you're always compared to that one, right? Um, that is very annoying, and you can imagine it being very much more annoying if your older brother is literally perfect in every way. Not just your parents think he's perfect, but that he actually is perfect. And that's who James was. He grew up in the same household as Jesus, and he didn't believe him. He didn't believe him at first. Um, when we're, we're looking in John 7, 5, it says that his brothers didn't believe him. So you can kind of think that, right? There's this religious fanatic living in your house that says he's the son of God and you don't believe who he is. But that quickly changed after the resurrection. James and Jude both were converted and were in the upper room with the disciples in Acts 1. So lots changes, right, because of the resurrection. And it certainly did for James. The faith of Christ came to him, and God solidly converted him uh, and used him in a, in a big way. Now, there are several Jameses in the New Testament that we see spoken of, especially in Acts. We have James, who is John's brother, right? And we saw, as we studied through Acts with Pastor John, we saw just recently how that James was killed in Acts 12. We saw that happen. So that James is particularly out of the running to have written this, this epistle. The other James spoken of is another apostle, and that's James the son of Alphaeus. We don't know too much about that apostle, um, but it is traditionally and historically maintained that James, the brother of Jesus, is the one that wrote this epistle. So when he was converted, he immediately began associating with the apostles and eventually became the head of the Jerusalem church. He had a 20-year ministry there as the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. Imagine the environment that James was in at that particular time. First century Christianity is brand new. And in fact, James, being of a Jewish household, was still addressing this epistle to the twelve tribes, right? Um, to those of the Jewish faith who had become Christians. Inside of the 20-year ministry that James had uh, at Jerusalem, there was a famine. So there was prosecution, um, or excuse me, persecution. There was a famine, so there was a crisis in the land. Is any, is any of this starting to sound kind of familiar? So it's interesting. I really do feel as though I, I 
hadn't necessarily intended um, for this to, to kind of come home to me as much as it did when I first started, but to have that background, I really feel that James' relevance even pops out to us as we read James 1 in our current 2020. So what's the book of James about as a context? The James, the book of James is a letter of practical application. So he is writing to the 12 tribes to apply the faith of Jesus to everyday living. So this isn't, this isn't something that he is um, writing similar to Paul. Paul wrote epistles to express conviction, to express exhortation to a particular church, right? Many times in his epistles. James is writing a very general book and a very general letter to all of the 12, 12 tribes scattered abroad. So the primary audience was to uh, the Jewish believers. The secondary audience is, though, of course, as this is preserved for us 2,000 years later, the Christians that would follow after James. And uh, you think about that. You think about two millennia of human history preserving a letter for us to read this morning. Perhaps God is behind that, right? So God has preserved His Word so that we may read about it this morning. And lastly, when was James written? So James was written somewhere around 44 AD. So this was after the crucifixion. After the crucifixion, and between that period of time and the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., so two big kind of milestones for you to gauge that. Um, coincidentally, uh, this rhymes exactly with what John has been teaching and preaching in Acts chapter 12, same time frame. So very close time frame to where we have been in Acts. You know, side note, it's, it's really awesome to sing a song and then hear that, that song be further echoed in what the pastor says that morning or to prepare a lesson and particularly coincide with something else. And that's the case for me is I didn't know that James was written around this same time um, as the Jerusalem Council that we just read in Acts 12. So I thought that was really cool. So where we're really going to camp out this morning is James 1, 2 through 4. And I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a crisis of belief. The reason I say that is, do we truly believe in the promises of Scripture, or do we believe in people's Facebook posts and or CNN and or Fox News and whatever else 
other media you may turn on that give you kind of the state of affairs of what, where we're currently and it's woe is me every day, all day long since March forward. You know, it's, it's either the devil or Joe Biden. One of, one of the other. You know, it's, it's something. Something external to us is causing us pain. Something, uh, we have murder hornets. We have whatever. You know, it, every day is a new crisis in 2020. And if we let it, that turns into our belief about what our perspective is. So I've just really felt the need to roll back to really the simple scripture. And so when I read this, the question for me and the question for us is do we actually believe it? And are we actually going to walk in it? Or do we just let it sit on the shelf um, as another kind of letter that could have been from anyone. So let's read it again with each other. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Think about the richness of just a few verses there. So let's kind of break this down and spend a little bit of time on it. The definition of joy, I love John Piper, a lot of good things. There's no, there is no one person out there that I'm going to say I completely agree with 100% of the time. And the same is true with Piper. But the majority of things he says, man, are so rich and so good. And and I think that his commentary and definition, uh, he was specifically talking about his study on Philippians when he gave this definition of joy. Just let this one sink in here. Joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in His Word and in His work. A good feeling in the soul. Okay, so hold up. Consider it all joy. Consider it all as if it were this good feeling. And Siri is trying to talk to me. Can I get an amen, Siri? All right. All right. Consider, consider it all joy. My brethren, when you encounter various trials, so... All right, we see protest and burning down Detroit and Chicago and Kenosha and pick the city and put it in the blank. We see that. 
And our charge is to consider it all joy. Tough. When we see people basically, uh, people basically running any sort of Christian principle down on social media and treating us basically as just a bunch of fanatics, consider it all joy. Even on a more personal level, you have a health crisis. You lose your job. You lose, lose income. Uh, you even may lose your house this year. Consider it all joy. As you face these trials... Um, you know, I, I really live mostly in a world of first world problems. Bad internet connection. Well, that's rough, you know. Don't know how I'll get through that. Um, you know, but there are serious crises this year. There are serious crises that externally are affecting what we believe internally. And I think that if we really applied what we're thinking about here and considering it joy, um, that would be what James's charge to us is. So look at where that good feeling in the soul comes from. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. So the knee-jerk reaction, uh, the knee-jerk reaction to these crises is this feeling of joy. Um, because he's causing us to see the beauty of Christ in his word, that his word is complete, that his word is effective, that his word is what we're called to read and believe in and walk with and in His work. God is at work right now. And He will be glorified. Amen. He will be glorified through all of this. We, won't, we may not see it in our lifetime, the how God gets the glory for the things currently happening. And we may. I hope we do. Um, but we know that no matter what, we count it as if it were because we count it joy. We count it as if it were joy. To see these things going on and know that, like the song says, it is well in my soul. Deep down. This is a joy that is unshakable. It's not a, it's not a unicorns and rainbows and, you know, I just got my favorite ice cream. It's not that type of joy. This is a deep-seated joy that allows us to look at circumstances and be glad that Christ is with us. So the verse says to consider it all joy. And if you like word studies, Strong's Concordance is a really great concordance, a great index of the frequency of how many times a word occurs in the Greek or in the Hebrew or Aramaic. 
And it's helpful to us because we can use Scripture to interpret Scripture that way. If we see this one word in this verse, we can go over to a different verse where that same Greek word is used and we can kind of put the puzzle pieces together. So the word that is used for consider here is it means coming first in priority as a leading thought. So the gut reaction as it were. Not the secondary thing, but the first reaction we have in our minds to this crisis is, thank God. I know that He's taking care of this. I don't have to worry. Uh, And we put that on the very front of our minds. So, we rejoice not because everything is okay. One of my favorite memes this year is the little dog sitting at a coffee table with his coffee and there are flames all around him and it says, this is fine. You know? (laughs) I'm sitting here with my coffee. This is just fine. You know, flames are roaring around me. I'm about to get burned up, but it's fine. Um... We look at our circumstances and we rejoice, not because our circumstances are 100% perfect. They're not. They're actually pretty bad. Um, if, if you're caring for a loved one during this time, which I know that, uh, I know that Chris and Kendall have been through this period of time. I know that our friends, the Hambies, have been taking care of her dad who, who passed away, uh, recently. Um, during this time of COVID where it's very difficult to see people, control all of your hygiene that you can, um, and, and everything just so you can see your loved ones. So it's not okay. It's not just fine. But Christ is enough. So whatever we see, our leaders, our leadership faltering, our government going in a direction we don't like, what seems to be a new social issue every day, um, Christ is sufficient. And our joy resides in Him. Be encouraged by verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Here again, the Greek word for endurance is to remain under, be steadfast. And we know that the testing of our faith is producing endurance. So, new reaction. When we get the new crisis du jour tomorrow morning in our news feed, your reaction is going to be, praise the Lord, I already know He's using this to produce endurance in the faith that He has given me and His sufficiency. That endurance is something that we talk a lot about and Jesse and Danny have been leading us in the study of the 1689 Confession 
We are going to be in chapter 17 one of these days. And we will be studying about perseverance of the saints. Um, if you have seen the acronym TULIP, the five points of, shall we call it Calvinism, um, but the five points of TULIP, the last letter of that P is the perseverance of the saints. When James talks about endurance, this goes towards our perseverance as we reside in Christ. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Loved what R.C. Sproul said here. If you don't know who Sproul is, Sproul is a, shall I say it, Presbyterian minister um, who recently passed but had a tremendous teaching ministry uh, that has all kinds of awesome videos. Girls, if you're, instead of watching maybe some of the crafting videos on YouTube, maybe you should check out some Sproul. Um but R.C. Sproul is a teacher by heart, and you can really tell that. Um, and what he said is, what he starts in our souls, he intends to finish. Uh, love it. So, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to launch into a lesson of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Jesse's already done that once this morning. But I am going to point you towards a reference to the perseverance of the saints for everyone to study, for everyone's edification. It would do your heart and soul good to understand what's meant by the perseverance of the saints. But we will hit on the concepts of it, okay? The gist of what this big old paragraph says in front of you is that when God saves us, He keeps us. He keeps us, not we keep us, okay? Um, God's Holy Spirit keeps us. There are a few key verses that support this very big concept. Um, and almost all Baptists, even, even in any sort of traditional church that you would go to typically do believe um, in the perseverance of the saints. Um, so let's let's look and, and look at some of these proof texts. John 10, 28 through 29 says, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That, that ought to assure us, that ought to give us comfort. Um, Philippians 1.6, I've already shared. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, 
the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. This was speaking towards the fact of once someone has made a true affirmation of their faith and it's genuine, they're not going to walk away. If they walk away, they were never, they were never saved. Okay. Psalms 89, Psalm 89, forgive me, 31 through 32. If they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Thank God we are in Him. 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. If we belong to the Lord, we are His, we are kept in the palm of His hand. It's kind of like a mama bear. If, if, a, if a cub was under his mother's care, no one's going to go <laughs> next to the mama bear, right? Too powerful to go against. God is, uh, God is powerful enough to keep us. <laughs> if you have an ally, that's, that's the one you want, right? The one has an infinite power to keep you and protect you and keep you in his will. So let's read verse four. And this is, uh, this is getting to our, our application for today. Um, the result of God's preserving us in joy through faith is our completeness and our wholeness. Verse 4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're talking about a spiritual application. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not name it, claim it. This is not Kenneth Copeland, I have three 737s with gold gilding on them. Okay? This is not lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing spiritually. Okay? Let's think about the spiritual implications of lacking in nothing. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wholeness is essential to our walk with Christ. So this this whole set of verses builds on itself, right? We consider it joy, our immediate reaction. We endure with joy as we continue our walk with Christ. And the end result is our wholeness and completeness in Christ. And the reason that that's important 
is when we are whole in Christ, we don't seek other means of fulfillment. If we truly, if you and I truly believe that Jesus is enough, then we aren't going to other comforts to get what we should be getting from our relationship with Christ. Everybody in here has heard the term comfort food, right? If comfort food got taken to its very end, that's an idol, right? If, if my comfort comes from food, and believe me, I've gotten some comfort from food, obviously, <laughs> but uh, if, if that's where we seek our comfort, it can in itself be an idol, Our wholeness in Christ is essential to our walk with Him. James 1, 14-15, same chapter if you want to look at it, says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So, the devil, the world, those are, those are two things we have to continue, contend with. But let's think about our own flesh for a moment. And that's what 14 through 15 addresses. We're tempted away when we think we need to seek out something different than what God has given to us. And we're enticed by this lust. And when lust comes to fruition, it gives birth to sin And ultimately, that sin leads to death. So we have a contrast here, right? With this consider it all joy, endure in the faith, have a result of wholeness. 14 through 15 is a contrast to that. The same thing could well up inside you as lust, become sin, and sin lead to death. So we have these two paths. in Matthew fifteen nineteen, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. Out of our own heart, that comes out. So what needs to happen here, heart-wise, so that that's not what comes out of us. That's not what is made manifest out of the heart that we have. It's this wholeness. It's the sufficiency of Christ. If we think that He is enough, number one, that gives us comfort. Number two, that's going to produce endurance in us for the la- until the last of our life. And thirdly, we are going to be complete and wanting nothing. So, um, as we kind of, this is, this is what I want us all to take home today out of this. Thus the slide name, Take It Home. Uh, just to take it home for us, we're going to choose joy. Let's choose joy this week. And it's going to be a difference. It's going to be a big difference to those that we interact with. You can join in the gloom and doom chorus 
all day long. It's not hard. It's not hard. But choosing joy is completely separate. So if we react in a more positive way, we will reflect who Christ is in us. Remember that testing is a mean, means of God's preservation. A test, you're going to do one or two things. You're going to pass it or fail it, right? The pass, uh, the passing the test is believing in God and knowing that He's enough. And He's going to preserve us. Remembering our perseverance is assured. If we are truly in Christ, if we are His, know that we can't take it off the rails completely. He's going to bring us back in. He's going to chastise those who He loves. He's going to uh, keep us with Him. With all of this, be whole and trust God. So with all of that said, let's pray. Dear Father, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to apply the word that we read. Lord, and believe, Father, that you have called us to joy. You have called us to endure. Lord, thank you for the assurance that we are kept by you and that we can't mess it up. Father, we ask that we would be satisfied in you, that we would walk closely with you, Lord, and seek our comfort and maintain our peace with you. Father, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.